is Wealth Wake Up with Dick Donahue on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. Wealth Wake Up Sunday morning. Dick Donahue with you here on KGMI. Well, Argentina, is the pendulum swinging again? When Argentina entered the 20th century, its prospects looked bright. On a per-person basis, its economy was on a par with Canada and Sweden, and about two-thirds of the United States. But this all changed in 1946, when the country elected Juan Perón as its presidency. Perón launched plans to foster social justice through economic redistribution. The government sector grew rapidly, spending and money printing, and very high inflation, 300% plus, became the norm. Standards of living, living plummeted. While a change in politics, inflation could not be eradicated. Then in the 1990s, Argentina tried a currency board arrangement where each Argentine peso was backed by one American dollar. Like the old-fashioned gold standard before the creation of the Federal Reserve, each unit of the Argentine currency was backed by something that held its value. That currency board system worked for about a decade, bringing inflation down to U.S. levels and spurring a decade of solid economic growth. However, it broke down in 2001 and 2, largely because government spending never really subsided. When the government couldn't print new money, it borrowed. Investors, correctly, thought politicians would abandon the currency board and let the value of the peso fall in the first sign of economic trouble. And that's exactly what happened. Now Argentina finds itself with another lost decade of growth and hyperinflation. Recently, Argentina's per-person GDP stood at less than 20% of U.S. levels and below even Russia. But last month brought a political earthquake. The presidential election was won in a landslide by Javier Milei, a libertarian economist and an unbridled and outspoken critic of socialism and a supporter of the free market capitalism. Milei wants to end the Argentine peso and central bank completely and just use the U.S. dollar as the country's currency. That way, reintroducing the peso would be very hard, so Argentines could be confident that the government wouldn't devalue again. He wants to slash government spending, including spending on the social safety net and to get rid of lots of government agencies. Unfortunately, he's got his work cut out for him. Although he's popular with voters, he doesn't come from a political party with a widespread support in the legislative branch. As a result, it remains to be seen how much Mele can accomplish. Yet this isn't the only big shift in polls in recent months, with voters in New Zealand and the Netherlands swinging towards leaders seeking major changes. The long historic battle between those who support wealth creation and those who support wealth redistribution continues. The pendulum is starting to swing. We think much of this recent pattern is due to voters getting fed up with governments that are too big. Even the election of Garrett Welders in the Netherlands, ostensibly about immigration, was a big government component due to taxpayer-funded resources that, right or wrong, voters think recent immigrants demand. When governments are already very large and inflation rises while growth suffers, it's hard for the left to make a bigger government appealing to voters and easier for the right to make trimming government look attractive. The pendulum is swinging towards smaller government. If leaders fulfill this desire, investors around the globe will have a reason to cheer. While Argentina, which has followed a different rhythm than many Western countries, the elections of Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan changed the direction of global economic growth. Is it happening again? Let's look at our global wrap-up for the week. 
global equities were modestly firmer in the week, while the yield in the U.S. 10-year Treasury note extended its decline to 4.26% from 4.39% just before Thanksgiving. The price of a barrel of West Texas Intermediate crude oil rose from about $2 last week to $76.50, while volatility is measured by the CBOE Volatility Index, or VIX, held steady at 12.9. We saw that assets rallied broadly in November, moderating inflation, decelerating economic growth, and growing signs that the U.S. economy may stick a soft landing help send global equity prices higher in November, led by a 13% rise in Germany's DAX. The S&P 500 rose a bit over 9% on the month, while Bloomberg's U.S. aggregate bond index rose just over 4.5%, the best month since May of 1985. Commodities were the only asset to lose ground in November, led by a 6% decline in West Texas intermediate crude. The combination of strong equity and fixed income performance lifted the Bloomberg 60-40 index by 7.5% last month. And we're seeing that Powell is pushing back against dovish pivot. At an event at Atlanta's Spelman College, U.S. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell said on Friday that it is premature to speculate on when the Fed may ease policy, adding that the central bank is prepared to tighten more if it becomes appropriate and that policy is now well into restrictive territory. The Fed chair said it would be premature to conclude with confidence that rate increases are over, though he noted that the economy has not yet felt the full impact of past rate hikes. With Fed's blackout period about to begin ahead of its 13th of December meeting, Powell appears to be using his opportunity to cool market speculation that rate cuts are on the cards for next year. And the Fed hawks, however, hints at a dovish turn. Fed Governor Christopher Waller, one of the more reliably hawkish voices in the Fed's Board of Governors, said Tuesday that if inflation continues to decline over the next three to five months, that the Fed would start lowering its policy rate. Most other Fed officials, though, have stopped short of discussing rate cuts, though most suggest that the policy rates have likely peaked. Walter also has noted that he is increasingly confident that the U.S. economy can achieve a soft landing, saying policy is well positioned. Wednesday's Beige Book showed that economic activity had slowed since the report and that the discretionary spending had declined as consumers showed more price sensitivity. We also saw markets price in multiple 2024 rate cuts. So despite most central bankers pushing back against the notion that they'll begin cutting rates at disinflation continues, investors continue to price in multiple cuts from the Fed and the European Central Bank next year. Future markets are now fully priced in a quarter-point Fed cut no later than the 1st of May and a total of five quarter-point cuts by January of 25. The ECB is now seen as cutting as early as March, with four cuts fully priced in during 24. Anticipation of those rate cuts has helped propel the risk-on rally that has been underway in the last six weeks. And some quick hits here. The Fed's preferred inflation measure, which is the core personal consumption expenditures price index, rose two-tenths of one percent month-over-month and three-and-a-half percent year-over-year in October, down from three-tenths of one percent and 3.7 in September, respectively. And inflation in the eurozone fell faster than expected in November, dipping to 2.4 percent year-over-year, down from 2.9 percent in October. The Institute of Supply Management's November Manufacturing Index was unchanged at 46.7, well short of estimates for a rebound of 47.8. The Eurozone Manufacturing PMI bounced back to 44.2 last month from 43.8. And the U.S. economy grew even more quickly than expected in the third quarter. Revised data showed this week gross domestic product rose 5.2% up from an initial 4.9% reading. There were upward revisions in capital spending, residential investment, and government outlays, and downward revisions in consumer spending. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up here on KGMI. We will be right 
When I think about my grandparents, it takes me back to warm memories of meals shared around their dining room table and laughter exchanged around their fireplace. Hi, I'm Brad Barron, CEO and fourth generation Barron at Barron Heating, AC, Electrical, and Plumbing. Over 50 years ago, my grandfather installed Barron's first fireplace in one of Whatcom County's newest developments, Sudden Valley. Grandpa Dan took great pride in his craftsmanship, ensuring that every fireplace or stove he installed was truly the heart of his customer's home. Today, Barron continues his tradition by providing beautifully crafted hearth products through its Firelight by Barron division. Featuring America's best-known brands of stoves, fireplaces, and inserts, a Barron Firelight expert can help you build your perfect flame. Visit a Barron showroom today and get a free solo stove with purchase of a fireplace, stove, or insert. It's Barron's gift to you this holiday season to create warm, lasting memories both in and outside your home. Firelight by Barron, a tradition of warmth and beauty since 1972. Our mission, improving lives. Limited time offer. Call Barron for details. You love what you find at Wilson's. Football season is here. If you're looking for the best seat in the house, you'll find it at Wilson's Furniture with reclining and motion furniture that will fit your lifestyle and budget. Wilson's on Pacific Highway in Ferndale. When you're high, you feel different. You think different, you talk different, you draw different, you listen to music different, but you probably knew that. Problem is, you also drive different, and not in a good way. That's why driving high is illegal everywhere. So if you're high, just don't drive. Make a plan to get a sober ride. Because if you feel different, you drive different. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Sign up for the CHS Northwest Propane Autofill Program and receive a cellular tank monitor with no monitoring fees. Plus, you'll be able to review your daily tank level readings from your smartphone or tablet. CHS Northwest, everything you need for home and farm. Online at chsnw.com. The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again With just my children and my wife Fourth Wake Up, Dick Donahue with you this Sunday morning here on KGMI. As always, we appreciate you being with us. We are Asset Advisors. We are located out on the Pacific Highway, in the Pacific Commerce Center, out there in the same complex with Wilson's Furniture. Our address is 5060 Pacific Highway, Suite 101, Ferndale, 98248. Our phone number, 360-733-1200. And check out our website at wealthwakeup.com. Okay, I'm going to continue on with this week's economic news. And we saw the European Central Bank President, Christine Lagarde, told European lawmakers that the Eurozone economy is likely to remain weak for the rest of the year and that job growth may be losing momentum. However, it's too early to declare victory on inflation, she said. The central bank may reassess its reinvestments of a pandemic-era asset purchase program earlier than planned at the end of 2024, Lagarde said. And we saw U.S. holiday sales appear to be off to a good start, with Americans expected to spend $37.2 billion in online shopping during Cyber Week and five days from Thanksgiving to Cyber Monday. According to Adobe Analytics, about 5.4% higher than last year. China's central bank on Monday said that it would fend off the systemic risks of its economy and use forceful and targeted monetary policy to better support domestic demand. U.S. personal spending rose two-tenths of one percent in October. That's the slowest pace since May. India's economy continued to grow strongly in the third quarter as gross domestic product rose 7.6% from a year earlier, according to data issued to Thursday. And the Case-Shiller U.S. Home Price Index rose 3.9% year-over-year in September, up from 2.5% in August. U.S. pending home sales fell 1.5% in October. That's a less dramatic decline than expected. And new home sales fell 5.6%. The price of a new home fell 17% in October from a year ago. Argentina's president-elect Javier Mele appointed Luis Caputo. As economic minister, Caputo served as finance minister in the country's previous center-right government and is seen as the market-friendly. Caputo visited Washington this week for talks with the International Monetary Fund and the U.S. Treasury. 
and OPEC Plus agreed to a 1 million barrels a day of new oil production cuts for 2024. The cartel also announced that Brazil will join the group in 2024. And China's manufacturing sector fell short of expectations in November as the government purchasing managers index slipped to 49.4 from 49.5. In the eurozone, M3 money growth contracted 1% year-over-year in October. That's the fourth straight monthly decline. And the Mexico governor expects that the central bank will begin debating rate cuts early next year. Retail sales in Japan rose 4.2% year-over-year in October. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said Thursday that she sees the U.S. unemployment rate stabilizing around current levels and says there's a very good chance that the U.S. will achieve a soft landing. The Fed need not trigger a recession to quell inflation, the former Fed chair said. And Canada's economy unexpectedly contracted by a 1.1% annual rate in the third quarter, although second quarter data was revised sharply higher, more than offsetting the third quarter downturn. Canada added nearly 25,000 jobs in November, though the unemployment rate edged up a tenth of 1% to 5.8% amid a rapid expansion in the labor force due to immigration. Let's take a look at more depth of some of those economic reports that we've been mentioning. We'll start out with the third quarter preliminary reading for the gross domestic product, or GDP as we know it. And real GDP was revised upward for the third quarter at a 5.2% annual rate from a prior estimate of 4.9, making the fastest quarter of growth since 2021. The upward revision to the overall number was due to the cumulative effect of a series of upward revisions to business investment mainly commercial construction, home building, inventories, and government purchases. These gains easily offset a downward revision to personal consumption, which was in both durables and services. More important, we also got our first look at the economy-wide corporate profits for the third quarter, which rose 3.3% versus the second quarter, but they're still down 7 tenths of 1% from a year ago. However, the government includes Federal Reserve profits in these data. And the Fed has recently has been generating unprecedented losses. We follow profits, excluding those earned or lost by the Fed, which were up 3.3% in the third quarter and up 5.4% from a year ago. In effect, the losses by the Fed are private banking sector's gain, as the Fed pays banks a yield of about 5.4% to hold reserves and do nothing with them. Still plugging non-Fed profits into our capitalized profits model suggests that stocks are overvalued. In addition to corporate profits, we also got a third quarter total for the real gross domestic income, an alternative to GDP that's just as accurate. Real GDI it grew at only 1.5% annual rate in the third quarter, is down two-tenths of 1% versus a year ago, consistent with underlying economic weaknesses. These are figures that are normally seen in and around recessions. Regarding monetary policy, GDP inflation was revised slightly higher to a 3.6% annual rate in the third quarter, a prior estimate of versus 3.5%. GDP prices are up 3.3 from a year ago, slightly higher than a 3.6% annual rate in the third quarter in the Fed's 2% target. Meanwhile, nominal GDP, which is real GDP growth plus inflation, rose at an 8.9% annual rate in the third quarter, is up 6.3% from a year ago. So look for lower real GDP growth and inflation in the fourth quarter. In recent housing news, news, home prices are showing consistent gains after drop late last year. The National Case-Shiller Index rose 7 tenths of 1% in September, while the FHFA Index rose 6 tenths of 1%. In recent manufacturing news, the Richmond Fed Index, which was a measure of mid-Atlantic factory activity, slipped to minus 5 in November from plus 3 in October. We also received data on the M2 money supply, which declined a tenth of 1% in October, is now down 3.3% from a year ago. Monetary policy operates with a lag, and we're likely to feel negative economic effects of these declines in the months ahead. And taking a look at October's new home sales, 
New home sales continued to look choppy in October, taking a breather following a gain in September. Despite the 5.6% decline in October, sales have been in an upward trend in the past year and now sit 25% below the low of July of 22. However, they also still remain well below the pandemic highs of 2020. The main issue with the U.S. housing market remains affordability. Assuming a 20% down payment, the rise in mortgage rates since the Federal Reserve began its current tightening cycle amounts to a a 31% increase in monthly payments on a new 30-year mortgage on the median-priced new home. With 30-year mortgage rates currently hovering around 7.5%, financing costs remain a headwind. The good news for potential buyers is that the median sales price of new homes have fallen by 17.6% from its peak last year. However, it's important to note that this drop in median prices is likely due to the mix of homes on the market, including more lower-priced options as developers have complete smaller properties. Supply has also put more downward pressure on median prices for new homes than existing homes. The supply of completed single-family homes is up nearly 150% versus at the bottom in 22. This contrasts with the market for existing homes, which continues to struggle with an inventory problem, often due to the difficulty of convincing current homeowners to give up on their low fixed-rate mortgages that they locked in during the pandemic. But this does not mean that housing is getting more affordable per square foot, with the Census Bureau reporting median prices on the basis on this basis up 45% from 2019 to 22, the most recent data available. Though not a recipe for significant rebound, more inventories giving potential buyers a wider array of options will continue to put a floor under new home sales. One problem with assessing housing activity is that the Federal Reserve held interest rates artificially low for more than a decade. With rates now in a more normal range, the sticker shock on mortgage rates for potential buyers is very real. However, we have had this strong housing markets with rates at current levels in the past, and homeowners will eventually adjust. Dick Donahue with you with Wealth Wake Up here on KGMI. We'll be right back. We don't have the usual traffic jams that they have in the big city, but sometimes things happen to snarl everything up. Depend on KGMI to keep you cruising to your destination with KGMI Traffic Alerts. We'll tell you where the trouble spots are. And if you see problems on the road, give us a call at 360-676-5464 so we can spread the word. KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM and KGMI.com. Bringing the world to Whatcom County and Northwest Washington. The People's Republic of China. They're launching the first pieces of their own space station. The John Bachelor Show. Weekday evenings from 6 to 10. They're going to use what they learn in, in constructing this station and having people live on it to plan their uh, manned interplanetary shift and to do it as quickly as possible. On KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM and KGMI.com. This holiday season, relax and celebrate in your new home at Meadow Green's Retirement Community, located in beautiful Linden. From the snow-covered panoramic views of the Cascade Mountains and the Canadian Rockies, there's no better backdrop to the holidays than Meadow Green's active retirement, all while enjoying the beautiful holiday decorations, and you don't have to do any of the work. Meadow Green's Retirement is the only locally owned retirement facility in the county. They offer both one- and two-bedroom apartments with full kitchens, with the freedom of eating in or enjoying a meal at the Outward Nine or the Duck Hook Bistro. Meadow Greens can also be of help when it's time to transition from an independent apartment to assisted living. Hi, I'm Josh Howe, director here at Meadow Greens. I'd like to personally invite you to come to our community. I look forward to showing you all that we have to offer. Call Meadow Greens today to arrange a private tour at 354-8200 and online at meadowgreenslinden.com. The grass is always greener in Meadow Greens. This is Heidi Person, General Manager of the Cascade Radio Group, with a look at some good news in our community that we like to call the upside. 
This holiday season, Brown & Brown of Linden's 12th Annual Turkey Drive distributed 288 turkeys to Whatcom County families in need. The more than 3,700 pounds of turkey were distributed by Bellingham Food Bank and Linden-based Project Hope Food Bank. The turkeys were purchased with $2,000 from Brown & Brown Insurance, almost $1,700 from Brown & Brown team members who held a bake sale and luncheons, and more than $3,800 from community members and businesses. This is the 12th year for the annual Turkey Drive, and thanks again to Brown and & Brown and everyone who donated. The Upside is brought to you by R.B. Wick and Bellingham Coin Shop. Stop by today for a free coin or antique evaluation. 1806 Cornwall, one block south of Bellingham High School or at bellinghamcoin.com. If you have good news to report, email it to us at theupside at cascaderadiogroup.com. This week with P&W Perks, you can get two $25 gift certificates for the price of one at Menace Brewing. And yes, you heard that right. That's $25 worth of free beer. You don't need to go to Boston to find a place where everybody knows your name. Menace Brewing in Bellingham's Fountain District is family owned and operated and pet and family friendly. So when you're at Menace Brewing, you're always family. Whether you're looking for a place to catch a soccer match, test yourself on trivia night, or grab some delicious food from one of their rotating food trucks, Menace Brewing is your friendly neighborhood brewery. Stop by from noon till 10 daily and enjoy a refreshing craft pint. Bring your friends and make some new ones. So next time you'd like to get away, head to Menace Brewing on the corner of the Guide and West North Street in Bellingham. Thursday at 8 a.m., you can get $50 to spend at Menace Brewing for just $25. For more details, go to pnwperks.com or this station's website. Cheers! There's a lot going on right now, and broadcasters are on the ground covering all of it, bringing you the weather, the traffic, and breaking news, all while entertaining you 24 hours a day. Someone needs to tell you what's going on around the world and in our hometowns, and that someone is us. We are free radio. We are always there. We are broadcasters. Visit wearebroadcasters.com or text radio to 52886 to learn more. Furnished by NAB and this station. The mysterious, the obscure, the strange. In some cases, it is the animal reactions that led to the sighting. Coast to coast. In France, Marius de Wilde said that his barking dog caused him to go outside to see what had startled it. He saw something on the nearby railroad tracks and then two small creatures. A beam of light shot out from that object momentarily paralyzing him. Every night at 10 p.m. and beyond on KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. The latest local news and important topics of the day from the West Mechanical Studio. Tired of inefficient heating, poor indoor air quality, and rising energy bills? Contact West Mechanical today to explore going ductless with a system from Mitsubishi Electric Heating and Air Conditioning. Find them at westmechanical.net. Get the latest news and information 24-7 with KGMI News Talk 790, 96.5 FM in Bellingham and KGMI.com. back to Wolf Wake Up. Dick Donahue with you this Sunday morning. Going to continue on with our economic input for the week. And we saw a report come out on our October personal and income and consumption. And incomes and spending continued to grow in October, though at a more modest pace than in recent months, while falling oil prices kept inflation in check. Incomes rose two-tenths of 1% in October, led by dividends and interest, while private sector wages rose a modest one-tenth of 1%. Personal income is up 4.5% in the last 12 months. Consumer spending rose two-tenths of 1% in October, while a pickup in services partially offset by declining goods. Spending on services rose four-tenths of one percent in October. It's up 6.8% in the last year. It's up 2.3% when adjusted for inflation. Good spending declined two-tenths of one percent on the month, but remains up 2.4% in the last year, while real inflation-adjusted spending on goods is up 2.1%. On the inflation front, 
PCE prices, which is the Federal Reserve's preferred measure of inflation, were as unchanged in October, bringing the 12-month comparison down to 3%. Core inflation, which excludes the ever-volatile food and energy categories, rose two-tenths of 1% in October, is up 3.5% versus a year ago. You need to note that the Fed has prioritized a subset of inflation dubbed the super core, which is services only, no goods, excluding food, energy, and housing. And that measure rose a tenth of 1% in October and is up 3.9% versus a year ago. That's down from a 5.2% peak in October of last year, but still well above the Fed's 2% inflation target. And while many believe the inflation has peaked, numbers from Europe helped reinforce this also. Inflation is still not contained. In other news, initial claims for jobless benefits rose 7,000 last week to 218,000. Meanwhile, continuing claims rose 86,000 to 1.927 million. These figures do suggest the continued modest growth in employment in the month of November, and we'll be getting that employment report out next week. We also have the November ISM, that's the Institute of Supply Management's Manufacturing Index report out for the month of October, or November, I guess I should say, and another lousy report on the U.S. manufacturing sector as activity contracted once again in November for the 13th consecutive month. That's the longest streak since the aftermath of the 2000-2001 recession. Looking at the big picture, During COVID, a combination of shelter-in-place orders and extra compensation from the government in the form of stimulus checks and abnormally large unemployment benefits artificially boosted goods-related activity. Then the economy reopened, and consumers began shifting their spending preferences back to a more normal mix, away from goods and back to services. The ISM index peaked in March of 21. That's the last month federal stimulus checks were sent out, and has been on a precipitous downward trajectory since. We continue to believe a recession is lurking ahead, and the details of this report suggest the goods sector of the economy is likely to lead the way. On the surface level, just three out of 18 major industries reported growth in November. One survey comment from the computer and electronic products sector notably wrote that the economy appears to be slowing dramatically. This was the most easily seen in the new orders index, which remained in contraction territory for the 15th consecutive month. Meanwhile, the production index dropped below 50 in November. That's the first time since this summer. Part of the divergence between new orders and production is due to companies reducing their backlog of orders. Case in point, the backlog of orders index fell deeper into contraction territory in November at 39.3 and remains near the lowest readings since 2008 financial crisis. Meanwhile, on the inflation front, the prices index rose to 49.9 in November. It's been sitting in contraction territory for the last seven months, showing that tighter money since 2022 is gaining some traction against inflation. In other news, construction spending increased six-tenths of 1% in November. The gain was driven by a large increase in home building, with more than offset a decline in commercial projects. On the housing front, pending home sales, which are contracts on existing homes, declined 1.5% in October after a gain of 1% in September. Plugging these figures into our models suggests that existing home sales will be roughly unchanged in the month of November. Okay, well, I'm going to kind of summarize a lot of these reports that I've just kind of gone through. Basically, we're saying that the U.S. economy has slowed in recent weeks with inflation and labor cooling. So the U.S. consumer spending, inflation, and the labor markets all cooled in recent weeks, adding to evidence that the economy is slowing. Inflation-adjusted personal spending rose two-tenths of 1% last month after a downward revised three-tenths of 1% advance in September, according to the Bureau of Economic Analysis. Separate figures Thursday showed recurring applications for unemployment benefits rose to the highest in about two years. 
The figures are consistent with expectations that the economy will moderate in the fourth quarter following the strongest growth pace in nearly two years. Cooler demand may also help reassure the Federal Reserve that inflationary pressures will continue to abate, reinforcing forecasts that central bankers are done raising interest rates. Stock index futures rose after the figures. And the Fed is on hold for now, and their pivot in rate cuts is getting closer. Inflation is clearly slowing, and the job market is softening faster than expected. The core personal consumption expenditures price index, which strips out the volatile food and energy components, rose two-tenths of one percent last month, according and so from a year ago. The Fed's preferred gauge of underlying inflation advanced three and a half percent. The Fed's latest page book survey, which was released on Wednesday, showed economic activity slowed in recent weeks as households pulled back on discretionary spending. Labor demand also eased. Central bank officials are increasingly relying on this type of information to assess the path of the economy and inflation. And Labor Department data showed continuing claims for unemployment issuance rose at a 1.93 million in the week ended November of 18. That's the figure that has been climbing since September, suggesting out-of-work Americans are finding it more difficult to secure new employment. And continuing applications for jobless benefits surged. A proxy for those receiving unemployment is now highest since November of 21. Meanwhile, the overall PCE price index is unchanged from the prior month on lower energy prices and on an annual basis it's running at 3%. That's the smallest gain since March of 21, yet still above the Fed's 2% target. We're seeing that policymakers are paying close attention to services inflation, excluding housing and energy, which advanced a tenth of 1% in September, matching the smallest increase this year. On an inflation-adjusted basis, outlays for goods were up one-tenth of one percent, restrained by a drop in spending on durable goods such as motor vehicles. Services spending increased two-tenths of one percent. Meanwhile, real disposable income, which is the main support for consumer spending, increased three-tenths of one percent. This is the biggest gain since May and is supported by interest and dividend payments. Meantime, we saw wages and salaries unadjusted for inflation rose just a tenth of 1%. That's the smallest advance this year. The savings rate edged up to 3.8%. Separate data out earlier this week showed that the U.S. economy grew more than originally estimated in the third quarter. Forecasters are surveyed by Bloomberg see economic growth slowing at a 1.2% annualized pace this quarter. So... Kind of summarizing a lot of those reports, kind of putting them down in a condensed report, maybe a little easier for some of us to grab a hold of and put into perspective. You know, I get all kinds of questions all the time on IRAs and distributions, and I had one here about how to calculate the RMDs for an inherited IRA. And basically, the caller called me in. He said, my wife and I both inherited IRAs in 2022. Both the decedents were in their 80s. I now understand the IRS is going to forgive RMD payments for both of us in 2023. My question regards the RMD calculation method over the required 10-year distribution period. For example, for the calculation of the 23 RMD, would we just take the IRA amount at the end of 22 and divide it by 10, and then do the same for 24 RMD and divide it by 9, etc., in subsequent years until depletion of the IRA in 10 years? I appreciate your thoughts. Well, not quite right in how they calculate that out. So we're going to spend a second here to answer that question. The proper way to calculate a required minimum distribution within that 10-year period is to use the beneficiaries, what we call the single life expectancy table, starting in the year of the, after the year of the death, divided into the prior year balance. So in this case, the original account owner died in 22, so the first year of your 10-year period is 23. So basically, here's a step-by-step guide to calculating the necessary RMD with respect to that 10-year period. One, you need to look up your age this year. That's the age that your turn will be your birthday for 2023 on what we call the IRS single life table. You need to identify the corresponding index. If you divide that factor into that 123122 account balance, you'll have your 23 RMD. 
Now, for each year after this, you're going to subtract one from that initial life factor. So let's say you had an initial factor of 30. You would take that 12, 31, 22 balance and divide it by 30. Then a year later, you'd go back in there and you'd divide the 12, 31, 23 balance and you'd divide it by 29. So you each year thereafter, you subtract one from the initial life expectancy factor. You don't go back to that single life table every year. Then you need to divide that factor into the prior balance, and that'll give your RMD in future years. You can always take more than the RMD annually, but just be sure that you empty the account by the end of year 10, which in this case would have been 2032. So it's not a straight line deduction. And in fact, we've run another number of comparisons and find that in many cases, a lot of people are going to wind up having as nearly as much money in the account at the end of 10 years using those tables. So it is something for you to be aware of, something to look at. Now, one little strategy that we're taking in a lot of cases, especially if you can put money in an IRA, is go ahead and take out at least enough each year to, t- to go ahead and fund an IRA for yourself, your spouse, you know, it's something to think about where at least you take money out on one hand is taxable. On the other hand, you can turn right back around and put that money away in an IRA in your name and take that offsetting tax deduction. So just a little trick that we're utilizing with a lot of our clients. I want to thank you for listening. We'll be right back after this break. Thinking about solar? Call Western Solar, the local experts with over 2,000 residential and commercial installations. The team at Western Solar always strives to go above and beyond to make sure their customers are as satisfied as this recent reviewer. Western Solar is an excellent example of a high-quality local business. They do a really good job of working with homeowners to get a system that meets the owner's needs. Never felt like I was being sold to or that they were trying to oversell anything. They provide top-of-the-line products and don't overestimate the system's ability to win the bid. They aren't the cheapest solar installer in the area, but you get what you pay for. For a 20-plus year investment, do yourself a huge favor and pay a bit more so you have top quality products and support. Western Solar is also the highest category of installer within Panasonic's Triple Guard Warranty Program with the longest and most comprehensive warranty in the industry. Call Western Solar in Bellingham to schedule your free estimate today at westernsolarinc.com. Fall is here, and with it comes tracking in dirt and grime on your carpet. Let the professionals at Swans Clean Care and Restoration get that carpet looking new again. Did you know that Swans brings all of the clean water with them in their own van and then hauls away the dirty water when they leave? They then dispose of it responsibly and in a manner safe for the community and environment. The holidays will be here soon, so schedule your appointment today. For a full list of the services they provide, find them online at swanscarpetcleaning.com. Victor deployed for the first time to Afghanistan in 2003. He sustained a moderate traumatic brain injury. One of the most important elements of caregiving is taking care of yourself. For many military veteran caregivers, their caregiving journey starts earlier in life and lasts longer. Visit aarp.org caregiving for a free military veteran's guide to navigate your caregiving journey and better care for your loved one and yourself. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land God bless the USA Well, wake up, Dick Donahue this Sunday morning. If you got questions for me, give me a call, 360-733-1200. And as I announced yesterday, we've had our website back up at assetadvisorsllc.net, but it now also is available again at wealthwakeup.com. So wealthwakeup.com. Check it out. Give us a call. Love to meet with you. Okay, well, IRS has made a number of changes for us for tax rates and stuff in 2024. I've mentioned this a little bit, but I'm going to talk about it again. As the IRS recently bumped the income thresholds for its new tax brackets up by 5.4% for next year, that's the latest adjustment to account for elevated rates of inflation. The move is basically unlikely, however, to produce a material change for most American tax burdens. Rather, it's designed to keep earners in their current tax bracket if their additional income is only keeping up with higher living costs. The standard deduction for income tax filings in 2024 will be 5.4% higher. 
A number of other IRS thresholds have also been raised for next year, including contribution limits for tax-deferred retirement accounts, limits on gifts, and estate tax exemptions. So here's a review of some of those key changes which may help you as taxpayers lower your tax liability in a few areas. One, income tax changes. The standard deduction, or the amount that the IRS allows taxpayers to deduct from their income, is increasing by 5.4%. That means the figure for single taxpayers and married individuals filing separately will rise to $14,600. That will become your new standard deduction for 2024. While the head of households and married couples filing jointly will increase, head of households will increase to 21,009 and couples will increase to $29,200 respectively. In the tax year of 24, there's also going to be a higher income threshold for each tax bracket, meaning Americans are going to get a grace period before additional income is taxed at the higher levy. For example, single filers with an income over $100,525 and couples earning $201,050 will be hit with a 24% tax in 2024. That's up from $95,375 this year for singles and $190,750. Now, what I just said is single. This year, you could earn 95375 before you went into a 24% bracket. Next year, it'll be 100525 Married, this year, was 19750 Any income over that? Next year, that will jump up to $201,050. Let's take a look at retirement accounts real quick. The 24 adjustments for inflation is also going to provide an opportunity for savers to contribute more into their tax-deferred 401k accounts, their simples, their SEPs, etc., allowing some to reduce their income tax liability. The IRS hiked contribution limits for 401ks by $500 to $23,000 in 2024. That's in addition to a $500 bump that you can also get for IRA contributions. So that now will be $7,000 that you can put into an IRA. Older workers can also make catch-up contributions to these type of accounts. It should note that the limit did not increase in 2024. So, however, that remains at $7,500 for 401ks and $1,000 for IRAs. So what that means is if you're over age 50, you can put away next year a total of $30,500 if you chose to in your 401k, and you can put away a total of $8,000 in your IRAs. Now, a couple of family planning notes here uh, that you need to look at. If you plan to transfer wealth in the next generation, gifts are up to $18,000. It'll be tax-free for 2024. That's up from $17,023. And lifetime estate exemption will jump to $13.6 million, up from $12.9 million. So that, what that means is that you can actually do individual gifts. The fact that a, spouse, a husband and a spouse can each give that $18,000 a year and not have it be taxable to one beneficiary. So wealthy taxpayers should take advantage of these higher limits as the Trump-era tax cuts that doubled the federal estate exemption will sunset in 2025, meaning that exemptions will effectively be cut in half. Annual contribution limits for 500, 529 savings accounts, that's college savings accounts that are meant for a child's education, will also increase by 1000 to $18,000 in 2024. 529 contributions are considered gifts for federal tax purposes, but they don't count against your lifetime gift exemption. So utilizing a 529 plan is something to think about. So in addition to starting in 2024, 529 account holders will be also able to transfer up to a lifetime limit of $35,000 to a Roth IRA for each beneficiary. So if the next generation changes their higher education plans, the money you save for college can be used for the retirement instead. Grandparents will find that nice because they can save money away and rest assured that their money won't go to waste. So basically what they're saying is starting next year, a recipient of a 529 plan, you will be able to go ahead 
and start converting a piece of that over to a Roth IRA, essentially. And what it is, it's limited to the annual contribution amount that you can put into a Roth. So it could take five years or more for you to convert all that money over. Still debatable in my mind whether or not that's a good way to go, because you do have the right of changing beneficiaries. So if you've got money in the 529 plan, and you originally set it up for, say, a child or a grandchild, and that money's still remaining in the account once they finish their schooling, you could wind up and change it again and go over to the great-grandchildren and continue to have that money grow tax-free that way. So it is something for us to talk about a little bit. It's something we've spent quite a bit of time looking at. And uh, again, it's one of those things, if you've got questions about it, you can always give me a call. Well, a lot of people aren't paying attention to this, but there's a little thing called the California Proposition 12, and the impact of that is having an increasingly national production cost on all types of food prices. So here's some of the key information on this. Californians consume about 13% of all U.S. pork, but they only raise about 1% of the supply. So West Coast pork consumers account for the least amount of pork eaten annually, about 42 pounds a person. Number two on this findings, Prop 12 regulations were widely adopted by egg and veal producers. Pork producers filed a lawsuit alleging that the law violated the Dormant Commerce Clause and placed an undue financial burden on pork producers. Then third, the Supreme Court of the United States ruled that pork producers must comply with the regulations of Prop 12 in May of this year. So the pinning rules under the Prop 12 require 24 square feet of space available for each sow on a hog farm. On an average farm, the estimated investment to retrofit pens is about $3.5 million. And the cost of compliance is likely going to shrink the national hog herd and cause additional consolidation of pork-producing farms. So let's take a little bit of background on this thing. In 2018, voters in California passed Proposition 12, called the Farm Animal Confinement Initiative by a wide margin. The state law established regulations for housing laying hens, veal calves, and hogs whose food products, eggs, veal, and pork, would be sold in California. Additionally, the regulation prohibited the sale of these animal products in farmer, stock raiser, or seller, knowingly housed the animals in a cruel manner. As defined by Proposition 12, the housing requirements included cage-free and rage-free designs with minimum floor space allowances per animal. So Pop 12 also introduced a specific detail, forcing adoption of the rules by every other state in the United States. No eggs, veal, or pork could be sold in California, regardless of the place of origin, if California's housing rules were not followed. California used its enormous political influence to impose its rules on producers in other states. So despite the enormous costly and housing requirements of egg and veal producers to adopt the regulations of Proposition 12, pork producers and 99% of who live outside of California chose to challenge these regulations. Well, after a lengthy legal battle that ended with the United States Supreme Court upholding Prop 12's application to other states, the law has now become the standard that pork producers must obey if they want to sell their products in California. So another one of those little backdoor ways of seeing our prices or food and things like that. You know, a big deal so you got to pay more for your eggs so you got to pay more for your chickens you got to pay more for your food you know oh boy anyway dick donahue with you with wealth wake up here on kgmi don't forget our live show next saturday at 11 and if as always you got questions for me give me a call 360-733-1200 and i hope you have a very good week thank you for listening
voiced on the show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision.